Welcome to the Young Adult Ministry Podcast, the Yamcast, where we talk about everything the church needs to know, and some things you don't need to know about failing forward in Young Adult Ministry. We are starting these monthly podcasts with a discussion about the book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, and anything else we feel like. Hi, my name is Kenny. I'm from Boise, Idaho. My name is Jeremy, and I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, and I'm from, I'm Chris from Cincinnati, Ohio. And here we go. Um, let's start with some. Let's start with just some personal updates, guys. I mean, we've we've talked about um, some of the ways in in the last couple of episodes we're navigating Corona, but just stuff going on with us individually. Jared, you want to kick us off? How are you doing, man? How's your family? What's going on? Like anything to share with us? Yeah. You know, um, I think, uh, we're at the point where like most people we're just over all of this. Mm. Um, and our city is, and state is slowly opening things, um, back up. And so, um, now kind of faced with the, what things do we do? What things, um, do we do, um, safely, um, with our church and with family and friends. Um, one of the things that we had the benefit of because, uh, the city's opened up some is elective surgery. So I've shared with the, the two of you, um, my wife has needed to have her gallbladder out for quite a while and had it scheduled, um, about a, to, to place it dates are a little fuzzy for me. She was supposed to have it out a week after the NBA ended up shutting down their whole operation, which is when everything shut down in the world. I felt like like the NBA did it, everything else shut down. Um, and so it got delayed a few months. So she was able to, um, have that elective surgery that, um, will have her feeling a lot better. And so we've actually been able to see some more of our extended family cause they've, um, traveled to us to help take care of my wife and our two kids. Um, and make sure that I um, don't drop the ball on keeping any of them fed or alive. So um, we're 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 good. I'm yeah. I was uh, I was talking with some college students this week, and I was asking them what they were looking forward to this summer. And one of them just said bluntly, "You know what? This is the first time in my life I'm not looking forward to summer. I'm just ready for summer to be over, so I can get back to see my friends." Um, yeah. and there's a, there's a lot to unpack in that, but like, I feel kind of the same way where it's like all of the best parts of summer are canceled, um, in some way or another. Um, and, or at least they're, they're not going to look the same. And so, right. um, it's, it's just a weird time. Thankful that we don't have any major, um, uh, health or, um, financial issues related to COVID-19 and our family or extended family. But, um, got plenty of friends that do. And so I'm thankful, but I'm over all this. Over it. Chris, what say ye? Um, yeah, we're doing good. Not a whole lot to report. Personally, I would say, um, you know, we kicked my daughter and my future son-in-law out. So they're back out on their own. (laughs) Um, and then my, daughter is pretty much done with her junior year of high school and my youngest Josiah he's nine just finished third grade um he's not he's hoping to never go back to school (laughs) this has been great and my wife has really enjoyed working from home so she's uh 
hoping some of that sticks for her as well. But um, but we'll see. So family wise, yeah, it's been it's it's still weird. Like church wise, community with our small group, some of our tight relationships. You know, a lot of that's been disrupted. It's weird. I was actually delivering coffee to an older couple from our church um, a couple of days ago and got there like nine o'clock at night to drop off two bags of coffee because he was running out of coffee and was very disappointed he might have to go buy some coffee from Kroger or something. And I got there and they're like, you know, I left the van running. I was like, just going to drop off coffee and run. And they're like, oh, no, come on in. Come on. Let's talk. Let's catch up. How you doing? And we talked for like 30 minutes with my van running in the driveway. Um, but you could just tell they were starved for, you know, community and fellowship right. and stuff like that. So I, I think a lot of people are, are feeling that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the next couple months go. Um, but I'm training. It's a good thing I'm seated right now. I can't stand up because I <laughs> am training, carrying a pack around my neighborhood and people are looking at me funny. Um, Rucks, rucksack, man. Before this whole, uh, before things get back to normal, I'm going to disappear for a few weeks and actually spend some time on the Appalachian Trail. So I'm cool. trying to take the next month to get into shape so I don't die the first few days and, and quit. Um, Are you doing so, that by yourself or with people? Uh, not telling. No. No. Uh, well, maybe. Then, I'll keep, then I'll keep it a secret, Chris. I'm, I'm working on, you know, I don't want criminals to, like, come to my house while I'm gone. Kind of thing. Um, okay, I won't come over either. Um, but Why? anyway, I am working on trying to meet up with some friends who want to come and do a few days, um, you know, alongside, which would be cool. So we'll see. Yeah, you're, not, you're I'm not in, a great in, planner, so I don't know if that'll happen or not. Still waiting for that for that invitation, but I'll I'll hold out a few more days. So. Maybe. Yeah, thank you for including me in another internet-based <laughs> challenge. Don't let wow. you you next. <laughs> yeah, I gotta invite someone. Well, yeah, I guess to do that challenge, you have to invite someone new every day to uh, to do it with you, which is a crazy network pyramid. Jeremy, network did you scheme. see this? Did you see this thing where it's it's a twenty-two day, twenty-two push-ups, twenty-two day challenge to honor veterans? Uh, awareness. I raise awareness because 22 veterans a day on average commit suicide. Okay. I didn't so, see that in, in the post, but yeah. Yeah. I didn't include that part. Sorry. But um, that's kind of where the 22 comes from. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's honoring veterans, but also raising awareness about uh, mental health uh, in with veterans. I want to ask a potentially dumb question, but this is a sincere question about this. Because I instantly just thought of friends that I have that are in the military and I thought, am I supposed to tag them in this? Or is it okay to tag them and other people? Or am I supposed to tag people that aren't veterans? I would say tag tag whoever. Okay. It's also pretty relaxed, pretty relaxed uh, guidelines. Like, you know, people can cheat and do, you know, knee push-ups or whatever. So it's not meant to be a super to your ability challenging level. physical thing, but just more about awareness. the awareness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was surprised, actually. I could do 22 push-ups. I haven't done many push-ups lately. Um, you made them look good. You were even parallel. I was watching because I was like, as soon as he doesn't go parallel, I'm commenting. I'll hear, I'll hear from somebody. They're like, whoa, you're only going down halfway. What's up? Yeah, and you're like, I didn't ask. I posted this video for me, not for you. Or for raise awareness. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Oh, yep. How are you, Kenny? 
You pointed at Chris when you did that. That was confusing. Oh, on my computer. I. Oh, yeah. Now I'm looking at it. Okay. <laughs> Kenny, how are you? It's here for me. Wait. I'm okay. Uh, you know, thinking about the kids as as uh, there you go. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> my son finished eighth grade. That was easy. Um, Sweet. They kind of froze their grades once they went to online. And so whatever grades you had was what you what you're stuck with, unless you had horrible grades, and then you could dig yourself out of the hole with the remaining time of the semester. Um, uh, we're very grateful. Our kids are, for the most part, really self-motivated, both our middle schooler, high schooler, and college student. Um, and so finals have finished for high school and college, and they're off into their summer scheduling type lives that don't feel anything different than about March 13th on. Um, except now they don't have schoolwork to do during the day. <laughs> so I'm just living that coronation, embracing it. Um, uh, you, I mean, you guys know uh, my job situation changed pretty ab- abruptly um, back in the end of March. And so I've been in this in-between space vocationally and active as I'm actively waiting on the Lord, I'm engaging the gig economy and um, I've done lift driving on and off for about a year and a half, but I wasn't comfortable with doing that uh, given, you know, COVID-19 and how is it spread? And we don't know. And we don't know how you're going to react if you get it and if you're spreading it or if you won't get it or all the stuff. Right. So I held off on that, but I did start doing that last week. Um, but for the last three weeks, I've been driving Grubhub, not a sponsor. Totally could be. Um, especially if Uber buys them out, then they, they don't own us, but we would totally allow them to be sponsors. Um, I want to share a high and a low from this last week. Overall, my, my family's doing great. My wife is an Instacart gig economy. She is, she can do in four hours what it takes me all day to do, uh, like income wise when she does Instacart. I mean, she's just, she's amazing. Um, Driving Lyft last week. This is my low from the week. Um, I've had drunk people in my car before, but I've never had belligerent drunk people before. And last week, I had a couple of guys that were a real pair. And the guys started out smart, drunk in the back. Also, I, I created a plexiglass COVID shield in the back of my 2003 Subaru Outback passenger driver's seat. I just you know DIY'd this thing. And so it's like just right there. Um, they thought that was pretty cool, mostly because they were drunk, but they thought it was pretty cool. I felt good about that. At the beginning of the ride, he was asking me if I could pray with him because he'd asked me about my story. And I told him to him in 30 seconds. He's like, oh, you're a pastor. Will you pray for me before we get done? I'm like, are you serious? Because he's drunk. I didn't know. He's like, yeah, I totally want to. By the time that we got through the drive through and he started vaping in my car and then blowing the vape to the guy that was handing him food at the drive through window and then spills water and I'm glad it was water in my car. And then I dropped them off at the hotel. I was just glad that they were gone and I was praying, but I don't know if it was very Christian and I I'm grateful for the people interaction. Uh, but that was kind of my low point. And it's kind of, I, I don't know that I'm going to go drive lifts at night again. I, I mean, I probably will, but it's going to take me a little bit because that's just hard stuff. Like I want to, I want to share Jesus with people. I love being around people. I think, I think rideshare is a great way to be a pastoral presence that's exegeting and exploring your, your context. I really think it is like, I've experienced that. Um, so all, all of you out there that are getting your rideshare hustle on, like I go for it and, 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 and just be a, a, 
hovering kind of beacon of pointing to Jesus. I, I think that that's can be leveraged that way. That was a low point for me, but the Grubhub stuff's working great. So that's, um, we just, we don't want to make more than we should so we can stay on Medicaid for the time being. My son had a surgery this last week, a surgery in our families. We were all praying for each other. Came through that great. Got a sweet little scar right here for removing a thyroidal duct glossals cyst. Those words go in an order. I'm not sure I got it right. Um, pretty common thing. And uh, he can start running again in the next week. And summer practice starts for cross country. Here's my high points. And then we'll, we'll transition to uh, culture corner for what we have there. Um, okay. You guys know how I'm kind of into the Spartan, not so course racing thing, right? And I listened to a podcast, shout out to the running public with Bracken uh, Cracker and Kirk DeWitt. Um, Kirk, by the way, was on the bachelor for multiple seasons. He was the bachelor at one season. Um, and he's been an obstacle course race in the last couple of years. Anyway, they did a, they ran a, uh, we could do something like this. They ran a promo where if you leave comments on Apple uh, podcast, uh, if you leave a review, it can be as many or as few stars. It can be a good review or a bad review. Your name will be entered into a drawing to receive four weeks of free professional coaching. And so a week ago I entered that and I was listening Tuesday morning on training Tuesday morning to these guys and they picked me and I'm having a 15 minute consult online with Bracken Cracker today. And we're going to go over my athlete profile and the five weeks of professional training that he has now assigned to me for free, uh, getting me ready for the obstacle course racing season that I hope will start again in July in Utah. That is awesome. I know I'm, super nerding out about it, complaining about it. And my family keeps telling me to shut up. I'm like, they gave me homework. I got to fill out this form about my workout schedule for the last five weeks. Like, I don't want to do that. I was like, shut up. You're so happy. You got this. I'm like, I know you're right. I'm like, whinge. I'm like, whinge bragging is what I'm doing right now. That's what I called it. But anyway, nice. low drunk people in the back of the car doing ride share. Hi hanging out with somebody I really look up to and also of course racing and, and uh, hopefully I won't be too weird today with him. I'm just imagine obstacle course racing. Yeah. Okay. Sound like you said horse racing. (laughs) Just clarifying. Okay. But none of the original Spartans had horses. I don't think so. Hmm. They just ran marathons. It makes sense. Jeremy, you were about to say, I was going to say, I just look forward uh, to in a future episode where we raffle off a coaching. I'm going to talk about him since he's walking away. Um, I, that we raffle off a coaching five week program with the Chris Bean on the intersection of coffee roasting and spiritual disciplines. So I look forward to when we're able to <laughs> raffle that do think, off. <laughs> do you think? Do you think? Where did he? Where does he go? Like the other podcasts that I listen to, when someone oh, does here. this, they're going to the bathroom. That's where they've gone. <laughs> right? Uh, do you think that he? Do you think that he would do some recording? Oh, he's back from the from the uh, Appalachian Trail. Most assuredly. Oh, you will? I thought you'd say no for sure. No, I'll be I'll be vlogging in some format, YouTube channel, something. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, all right, Culture Corner. Um, 
Because I'll be engaging mostly mostly young adults on the trail. (laughs) Because that's who's with you, or because that's who you're talking to. I want to know more. Because the people want to know. Mostly who hikes are uh, 20-somethings with some extra time and maybe not cat, but extra time and energy. Energy, I'm like, exactly. I'm like two 20-somethings with extra time right now, Chris. <laughs> Funny. It's true. <laughs> Culture Corner, are we ready? Let's go to Culture Corner. I feel like we need a sound effect for this. We totally do. Zoom, uh, zoom. A zoom? Bum, bum, that was bum. bad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we were kicking around this idea of, of Clark digging into campuses, college campuses, what they're doing, uh, this fall and the story that, that first kind of got me onto this was Cal state just kind of making the statement that they were going to close all of their campuses. Um, and everything was, was migrating to online. And then Jeremy kicked out an article to me uh from time magazine was that was that right jeremy yeah and and tell us about that one yeah that was um i'm trying i just thought it was i thought it was funny that our resident millennial sent me a a hard copy magazine you know like (laughs) check this out but (laughs) it wasn't an online article it was talking about um, how colleges around the country are as they're plan- announcing plans to reopen this fall, um, and they're looking at shorter fall semesters, so like no fall break and not coming back to campus after Thanksgiving to decrease the amount of travel and then return to campus. Um, but then also, uh, I think in that also talking about um, students who are considering, you know, do they go to campus? Do they, even if they, do they just shift to online? Do they take a year off? Those kind of things. It's obviously regarding our conversations on here, but um, as a pastor to young adults on a college campus, um, all of that stuff is very pertinent to what the next six to 18 months is going to look like for me in terms of ministry. And so um, I, I'm yeah. sure for you guys, for you guys as well, it makes it hard to plan stuff. Um, like mm-hmm. I, my, the two things that I do that I did most consistently in addition to like one-on-one discipleship and, 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 you know, grabbing coffee was, uh, small group Bible studies, um, which were often in small spaces or large group events, uh, with like 50 to 150 people with young adults and other parts of the church when we would do cross-generational meals um, for lunch after a Sunday service. And like, how do I, you know, how do I bring together 15 to 20 young adults um, in in a safe way? And obviously that can um, be defined a bunch of different ways, but how do I, how do I do it in a way where students will come, will show up and I'm not doing anything to um, uh, cause any issues for them. And then for, uh, larger events, you know, like that's probably not going to happen. So how do we pivot? So all this stuff I think is really important. Um, and seeing the stuff about Cal state going wholly online because they can't afford to do that much testing, um, was one of the things I know it talked about was that it just, they wouldn't be able to financially sustain it. I think is something that a lot of universities and colleges are going to have to be looking at. Yeah, man. I, I, I'm wondering what young adults are thinking about it. That's, I I think this month I'm going to, one of the things I want to ask some of the folks that are in, you know, undergrad. Um, I, I know my daughter's excited that the school that she goes to 
here locally, uh, Northwest Nazarene, they're opening their campus back up again this fall. At least that's the plan. They've already announced that. And um, I'm sure there's special measures and things that they're that they're taking, but they're, I mean, she's planning to go back to campus. And then you have some of the campuses, you know, like it's being discussed about, not, you know, just going to uh, Thanksgiving, not sending people away or having people leave on the weekends, which, I mean, have to be voluntary, uh, maybe voluntary testing of students. And then when they do leave at Thanksgiving, it gets everybody goes and they're just trying to limit the, the, the potential spread of COVID. We still just don't even know what we're dealing with. We know more than we did, but we still don't know how to like uh, mitigate spread. Um, and if I'm spreading it, if you're spreading it, like what, what, how can we still do college and university, um, in really a low risk demographic with young adults, but, uh, not potentially endanger them or their loved ones that they, that they go back to. And it's just, it's just very interesting, um, kind of staggered and various moves that different college campuses are making what's 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 cincinnati doing chris what are you hearing what are what are you talking to folks about we're still waiting for them to make a decision um and they're they're basically i think waiting on the the state academic board or whatever um along with the ohio department of health um they're waiting on recommendations and things like that but um so we're kind of waiting, uh, and it's interesting to hear from, you know, some students who, uh, you know, are going to UC now because it's local when they had planned on leaving to go far away to school in the fall, maybe to somewhere else. Um, and so that's kind of interesting, too, is you're going to have students who are shifting up their plans, maybe staying, going somewhere local or even like a community college to just kind of keep chipping away at the um, requirements or hours or things like that. But, uh, or you'll have some students, I think, who take a gap, maybe not a full gap year, but a gap semester and may just wait to start. So I think for college students, it's definitely a weird time trying to figure out what's next and how to proceed. Um, I think for those, you know, from a ministry standpoint, I just think it, it, the challenge is going to be, how do we keep doing, how do we keep shifting and utilizing, you know, Zoom and online and technology things in all the best possible ways? How do we keep doing that to set ourselves up for success regardless of what happens? Um, because, you know, some people talk about a bounce back, the virus is going to kind of come back and we'll get new waves of cases and things like that, along with flu season, kind of a typical sickly time of the year in the fall. Um, so it'll just, it'll be interesting, but I think we need to be prepared to keep developing some of the creative ministry initiatives that we're doing. And I think, you know, for me, when I, basically when I left youth ministry 11 years ago, 12 years ago, I also left behind kind of a particular philosophy of ministry, I would say, so that now most everything I do and invest my time in is one-on-one -on -one or small group oriented kind of stuff. Like I don't do any big, I don't do a worship service or a gathering with students, um, but really focusing on discipleship and, and things like that. So now I have, it feels like I've lost 90% of the momentum or the contact I was having with students 
Um, but it's also summer now, and I typically lose that much momentum, you know, when summer hits anyway. Um, so I don't know. That's what's going on. That's how I'm approaching some of it. Um, you know, I, I said this was culture corner. We're almost a culture corner. This was Corona yeah. culture that we're, we're navigating here, uh, which is kind of obvious for the things that we've, we've been sharing. Um, one of the things he said, um, Chris got me just, uh, remembering as we've had to slow down in a lot of ways, that's like a forced slowdown. Um, I've, I've noticed myself embracing that in some ways and really chafing against it in some ways. Uh, and I've, I've heard other people share about how they've really appreciated the slowdown, like not having to commute to work. Um, or not having to, you know, um, uh, be in so many different types of meetings all over the place. Now they just do it on, on online. Um, but I have noticed, uh, with, with some church settings that pastors are working as hard or having to work harder mm-hmm. or more hours than before. So there was this, there's the slowdown, the fourth slowdown, there's an opportunity to, this is just my personal reflection, an opportunity to embrace this slowdown. And, but, but I see some of my, some of my pastor friends that are on staffs at churches where their hours just shot through the roof, depending upon their responsibilities that they're having to put even extra time into it instead of it be somehow being a healing solve of, of a slowdown. Um, and it's a kaleidoscope of experiences. It's not one uniform. This is what's happening to all pastors, but I, I found myself, um, uh, grieving for them a little bit that as my life has slowed down and I've been able to take kind of inventory on some things, they've had to pivot hard and then run uphill. Um, and they were already at a sprint and with young adult ministry, I haven't felt that I felt, I felt young adults kind of pull away the relationships there, but it feels like it's on pause. They're waiting. I still feel like we said this before in other episodes, but I still feel like they're they're waiting for things to get back to normal before engaging in these. And and I'm reflecting. I'm um, projecting this on me. Periphery periphery relationships. I'm not a necessary relationship in their life. I feel like with the young adults I'm in community with uh, that I that I care about. uh, I'm checking on them. But they have gone, okay, uh, I'm going to focus on my primary relationships, and that's, that's what I have the capacity for right now. And anything beyond that is, beyond that is just going to be extra, and I may not even communicate about that. Primary relationships, let's see what happens. Do you see that happening with other, the young adult groups as we're farther down the road now with, with corona? Jeremy, how's that impacting you in, in terms of being a staff pastor? At a church, do you feel like it's almost like you're on call even more because social media is always, I mean, you can always zoom it up with somebody. Um, so it's almost more demanding in some of those ways. Yeah, I, th- I think um, it definitely has like increased my work days. I'm blessed to have a little bit more flexibility um, with having younger kids, not having to have to worry about schooling or anything right now. But, you know, there's some weeks where I have three or four zoom calls after like, uh, three or four nights out of the week, I have zoom calls after dinner. That's not typical. I have at least one, if not, um, two, but there's some weeks where it's like 
that's just because that works if we're trying to connect with people who are still working um, and uh, either going in or kind of things. For me, the the college ministry, young adult stuff has kind of stayed consistent in some way it's dropped off like some those who are really invested in like our weekly small group still are um and just doing it on zoom um for those who um were not as connected in some of those ways or um i've seen i think kenny said kind of like just drawn back because they're investing in a certain number of, of people um especially if they live farther away from nashville but i've had my time kind of um balloon up and taken by um, all of my other hat that I wear is community outreach. And so, um, having, we have a committee that's all of the medical profession professionals in our, uh, church, uh, getting their feedback as we're looking at stuff about the next, uh, about summer and what we, um, can, will, should, should not be doing. Um, and so I found it definitely exhausting, not, not necessarily because of young adult, like I, um, navigate social media and everything pretty frequently anyway. Um, but it's kind of all the other stuff that's been added on, um, where, um, you know, if I'm distributing stuff to people, if the church is open, it'd be easy because people could come and just pick it up. Um, but having to, you know, drive to 15 different homes to deliver, um, things to different people is a great way to be able to see them, but that takes up a whole day. Um, and then all the, all the extra zoom calls and stuff. So, um, I've seen that in some, in some ways I've been lucky that I've been able to have some stuff drop off a little bit as others have picked up. Hmm. Have you tried any gatherings with young adults where you like meet in the parking lot? And this, this was something that our young adult class that has a Sunday morning class at church, uh, a couple of weeks back, they were like, Hey, let's meet at the church parking lot and just sort of hang out and try to figure out some games they could play, you know, while being socially distanced and stuff like that. Do you, are yours like craving? Now that's funny to me because my high school, my kid, Jackie, who's a high school junior, um, she kept doing that multiple nights a week where she's like, Oh, Hey, we're all meeting over at the park or we're meeting at the school. Um, we're just going to sit in our cars and, and talk or whatever. Like, are you, is that kind of thing happening or are your young adults more spread out than that? The ones that are based in Nashville, um, or even ones where if they're like, if they're, um, like I have some who are from Oklahoma and they're all in the same friend group and had come to school, um, and seeing them get together. It's where it seems like I've seen young adults where it's like, they've picked two or three of their closest friends and have kind of said like, you're part of my Corona crew. Um, and so we're going to still, uh, keep distancing and try to be safe and stuff, but it's like adding two or three friends into the mix, uh, to be able to keep mental, um, health by being able to see people. I know it's something we're looking at starting where our city is now. We're actually going to do small group gatherings across the city as a church, um, for this upcoming, um, we're recording this right now. Um, it's right before Pentecost Sunday. And so we're going to be looking to do those throughout the summer of inviting people to geographically come together, um, in smaller and, um, smaller groups. And so we're going to look to start doing that in June and July for some, for young adults who feel comfortable with that. Um, but I see, I've seen plenty who are already, um, in small groups, finding ways to get together, going out, um, and playing Frisbee golf or going kayaking, um, different things where they're distanced from other people. Um, but kind of are, have included a few other people into their, their bubble of socialness right now. Yeah. Well, let me, let me, um, you guys can hear me. Okay. 
Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so let's let's continue on with the the to the culture corner here. What do you left? What you just said it the third time. Behind the scenes, we're all making fun of each other every time we say the word pivot. Yep. Um, just help us help us pivot four yeah. times. Yeah. Just I just lost the game. Okay, oh, get us okay. back on track, man. Uh, so from our friends at thinkburlap.com, not a sponsor yet, but maybe could be. We shall find out. Stay tuned. 20 things millennials will say to the church, part one. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to read these four. You talk about the one. You reflect on the one that, that you feel the most affinity with. Number one, we were here the whole time, ready to listen and talk, and you didn't want to have a conversation, except inside your actual church building, which really wasn't a conversation as much as it was a monologue. Let's just all talk about this. This has been a pet peeve of mine for a long time. Going into a building, looking at the back of each other, people of other people's heads, um, listening to one person facing us from the front, talking at us, not wanting feedback about what we think about what they've just said, and then dismissing and going about our week. Um, that's that's a really baseline way to talk about uh, church and sermon. Um, but to me, that's not community. It's a piece of it, and I receive instruction in the teaching, but I, I resonate with this as a Gen Xer. We were here the whole time, ready to listen and talk, and you just wanted a monologue inside a building. Thoughts? I'll let you go first, Chris. I feel like I've been uh, talking a lot here in the last few minutes, and you're much wiser than I. Whoa, whatever. Not now. I shaved the beard, so now I have a little less wisdom. Um, you know, I, there there was a bit of a jaded part of me, cynical part of me that said, okay, a lot of millennials actually have left the church and they're not saying that, you know, they're not necessarily there to say this um, to the church. But yeah, point taken that, uh, I mean, I, I see a lot of token kinds of, oh, we want young adults. We want to, you know, to show that they're important to us and to the church I mean, you can hear a lot of that from leadership, um, but yeah, then pretty much told, yeah, hey, we'll create this little thing for you over here and have fun with that, but definitely come to church, come to worship, listen, take notes, be a responsible young adult, whatever, you know. So I definitely see that there's um, a, been a disconnect in a lot of churches, Um yeah, I think um, one of the things that stands out to me from this point and some of the other ones that are um, made in this article is that um, there's this dichotomy between being an insider and an outsider. Um, and I think this flows across a few of the other ones of, um, I would have loved to go on a mission trip, but um, the requirement was I needed to be more mature as a believer or, um, you know, I'm interested in discipleship. Uh, but we don't learn best in classrooms that there's um, set systems and expectations in place that if you don't fit the mold of how things are working, um, that there's really not um, a place for you. And I mean, it makes sense to a certain degree. Any subculture is going to create its own norms and habits uh, in such a way to perpetuate uh, the culture that is um, being, that is the goal. And that goal then becomes what the actual habits and culture and stuff is. And so being able to break into that, whether you're of a different generation or if you're of a different culture, which I think crosses over, um, that our, um, 
emerging generations are of different cultures, um, even more so than in the past because of the technological revolutions and the flattening of the world through globalization. And so um, I think that's a big uh, important piece that is true from this. It's that it's it just is hard to navigate um, something that has a lot of unwritten rules um, and rules that are have a lot of hoops that are required in them as well. You heard it, folks, from Jeremy, our millennial, who's the real star of the show. A resident millennial. <laughs> Kenny and I are millennials in training. That's right. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Reverse, reverse millennials. Um, reverse mentoring. Reciprocal mentoring, I believe, was in a recent episode. Mm-hmm. I believe it was episode three, maybe four. I don't know. Um, so we do want to get to talking to the book today. Um, we're, we're wrapping up Culture Corner here and kind of transitioning into sustainable young adult ministry, making it work, making it last. We did chapters six and seven. Look at the hard copy, people. I'm on the Kindle. Six and seven last time. Mistake number five, wait until they're ready. Mistake number six, give up too soon. And today we're talking about chapters eight and nine. Chapter eight is beyond fixing. And chapter nine is paradox number one, succeed by being willing to fail. Where shall we begin, friends? <sighs> well, I think it's a good segue that, you know, some of these these four points in the Burlap, you know, article on millennials is... You know, the, the one about discipleship there, I think this really is important that um, the church really has to rethink what discipleship looks like. And it's not just transmission of information, but it really has to be relational. It has to be like this kind of the mentoring with reverse mentoring, like the relational. Um, and I think it fits this whole being willing to fail Um it just comes back back to the whole thing of, of spending time with young adults instead of trying to do things for young adults. And I think discipleship has to be done in that way that I'm going to do discipleship, do life um, oriented towards Christ with a young adult, that that is the way we ought to think about discipleship and not, I need to transmit, you know, this information or make sure they believe these, these 10 things you know, about what it is to be a Nazarene or a Christian or whatever. <laughs> um, so anyway, I think, I think that is a good um, connection between some stuff in that article and where we, where this chapter is going as it begins to discuss these uh, paradoxes and which turn into really strategies of this is how you build sustainable, lasting young adult ministry Um but I think if we're, we're still stuck at the program level where we're trying to come up with a perfect program, this, this chapter titled Beyond Fixing starts with this, this story about the French electrician that's stuck in the Moroccan desert. This story is inspiring to me. I just got to keep rereading it. Uh, the, the bottom line is asking the question of what if with what we're doing with young adults and following this electrician's example. He's asking himself two questions. Am I going to, am I going to, um, uh, do I have enough food? Am I going to starve? Can I? Yeah. Starve. What, what is it when you, when you don't have enough water, what do you call that? Wow. Dehydrate. My brain Sunday afternoon. 
dehydrate. Am I going to, yeah, die of, uh, am I going to die of thirst? Am I going to die of starvation? Uh, will I be able to fix the car? What does he do? He finally gets to a place where he goes, what if? Takes apart the car, reassembles it, turns it into a motorcycle and scoots out of the desert. How do I apply that to my church setting, my ministry setting uh, with with young adults? And and again, like you said, with young adults, not for young adults. I'm not making desert scooters for young adults and trying to sell them on riding them. Um, it's what do we have to work with? Instead of just creating an either-or situation, and this is something that I got from Shane Claiborne back in the day, um, but what's that third creative alternative that Jesus always presents in the narrative of the Gospels? Uh, people expect him to do either this or that. And Jesus goes, nope, here's this other creative thing that we're going to do that's going to advance the kingdom of God. And so I want to be asking those what-if questions in my context with young adults and the elements that I have to work with. Yeah. I think that's really good. I, I, I kind of stuck on the thought of an Etsy shop that's called like Wade Cycles, where it's just motorcycles made out of scrapped cars. Um, as you're as you're continuing to um, uh, adventure through uh, different gig economies, that's all I could 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 stick on that you're selling those for for us mm. eco friendly uh, millennials and young people. Um, speaking for the entire entire millennial generation yes um (laughs) as you should i i think um it's interesting i I think it's the the thing that stuck out to me was um that that question of what if uh how do we we change the questions that that we're asking how do we um but i think even more importantly as we seek to change our approaches the, the title of this chapter is beyond fixing and at least for me um, it's kind of like a, um, a, a two part, uh, way of understanding it. That part of it is that what we have been doing, we can't just make it do what it's doing better. We can't just do a systems upgrade, uh, or if it's a car, we can't just add better tires to it and expect it to work. So in some ways, what we've done is beyond fixing, not because necessarily something is broken down though. Sometimes it has part of it is beyond fixing is because it's not accomplishing the fruit and the and the results that we want it to accomplish anymore. And I think this can be extrapolated across a lot of uh, what we were doing as a church, especially in the times that we find ourselves in now in 2020, um, but that we don't just scrap everything that the church has done in the past. We um, There is some stuff that we, we build off of um, and move um, into new places. But I think part of it is that we, we, we use and retool what's been used in the past the, the broken down car and to make it into a motorcycle that it's not. Um, and I think that's part of, I've seen it in a few different churches, ones that I've served in ones that I've um, been a part of or observed where it's like, you want to do this new thing. And that means you just want to get rid of everything that we've done and you're throwing out all, all tradition and um, all of our history. Um, and some of the things we do, we do because we've learned lessons um, that it's the best way to do it. But sometimes those lessons are from a different time and they no longer apply. Uh, but I think an important thing to remember as this chapter being um, the the altering point, um, you could maybe call it the, the pivot point um, of the conversation um, in this... <laughs> in this book this takes us from identifying the problems to saying how do we then uh, move forward uh, taking the best of what we've done in the past but doing stuff in new ways as we get into some of the rest of the book 
a, a couple other things in this chapter um, that they recommended uh, attacking towards are taking the focus off of young adults to benefit young adults. And so one of those things is including um, inviting older adults into the mix and the relationship with, with young adults. I think that this is the secret weapon that every church has, no matter its size. Um, the, the, the U.S., the North American church is lamenting churches that are dying and have older congregations. But if some of those uh, older folks in the congregation would see themselves as a relational secret weapon that could grandparents some young adults and love on them, um, again, no matter their church size, that could that could really like weaponize discipleship for the kingdom uh, relationally and also resource it in a lot of ways. Um, and then um, the best ministry with young adults happens when we equip them for life beyond our church, even if they stay. It's a transient season of life, not just a demo. I mean, the demographic, but this you know eighteen to thirty ish transient. Plan for them to leave. Invest in them like they're going to leave, but don't not invest in them because you know they're going to leave. Surround them with those grandparents. Surround them with the champions. Surround them with the advocates. Love the way that your church is equipped to love on young adults and then listen to them about the ways that that they want to be led. And then earlier in the chapter, it says this, and then follow them there. Let them lead and follow them there. Um, how do I do that? That's some of the questions that I'm asking myself is how do I get out of the way as a leader to allow young adults to lead me to where we need to be? Yeah, there's some good stuff inspiring here where it kind of makes me want to want to like, okay, who's who's the next like young adult college student I can come alongside of? And I basically just need to be like encouraging them, whispering in their ear, you know, things that make them want to make an impact in the world and like realize that God is calling them to be who they are and do something great that has kingdom impact and can really change the world and stuff like, how can you be whispering and, and nudging someone that direction and then kind of see where, where that takes them, where the spirit leads and just sort of kind of come along for the ride, but also play in a, a supportive mentoring coaching, you know, role through that process um, to me, that's that's one of the shifts I'm trying to make is to quit coming at, you know, this age group as if I have some answers and they just need to listen to me and, and figure this out the way I did. Although one of the ways that I figured this out, I would say, and what you said about the relational secret weapon, you know, when I was a freshman at Anderson University back in 1919-something, uh, 1919, um, 1989, uh, freshman, Anderson University, this is as or before I'm feeling called into ministry, and I ended up transferring to Mount Vernon to finish, but I was at Anderson University, chemistry and physics double major, but I was going to... Uh, the Nazarene Church, Anderson First Church, the Nazarene. Now, I didn't have a grandfather growing up. Um, one died before I was born. Another one died when I was five. So I never really knew any of my grandfathers. Um, but there was a guy in the church um, who I who was basically a grand a grandpa figure for me, and he took me fishing, fly fishing. I learned to fly fish with him. And we'd go about once a month, you know, during sort of fishing season. 
and I was only there a year. So, you know, three or four times we went fishing. But anyway, um, my, the best fishing experience of my life, I still think back to, you know, this guy who was like my adopted grandpa, you know, during my freshman year of college. So, yeah, I think there's amazing opportunities like that for, you know, people to invest. Again, we just have to come alongside even the, you know, the older uh, folks in the church, the different generations, we need to be whispering in their ears too. You know, stories are just, hey, you could do this. You know, we've got this young adult ministry class at my church that I'm a part of. It's really driven by one couple in the church who has kids about the same age as my kids. One's a college student, one's a high school student. Um, and they just kind of opened up their home and uh, provided a place for college-age young adults to start hanging out. And it's mainly been focused on the last two or three years of our high school grads really trying to invest in them and be more intentional with that over the next few years and see what kind of fruit that bears. But anyway, it's just a regular couple in our church. They both have jobs, but they're just willing to open their home. They love this age group because their kid is this age. Um, But, you know, it could be somebody older or whatever. Uh, But anyway, I think those are good good places to start for people who are just trying to think, you know, a lot of times people ask us like, okay, what, what do we do to start a young adult ministry or to do this or that? So. Jeremy, were you going to say something there? No, I just, um, what the two of you have just shared, I I think is really, (laughs) I think what the two of you shared, um, is really good and is, um, um, I think a good summation of some of the the best parts of this of this chapter, and I know even in um, some of our Facebook comments right now, um, the conversation of how do you best relate to and serve young adults, like our friend Carol um, asked on Facebook just a few minutes ago. Um, and I think what you said, um, I think you both said it in in different ways, in really good ways. The one that is succinct and stuck out in my head, uh, Kenny, is what you just said: is that um, for our churches. We need to love um, in the ways that we're equipped to love, um, and that looks, you know, different. If you have abilities with fly fishing, um, or if you have a passion for opening up your home um, and being able to have people come over for a meal and have community together, um, and I think being willing to to love in those ways and moving into the chapter nine of this book and the first paradox being being willing. Um, you succeed by being willing to fail, that being willing to, to just attempt things um, and try things out um, and ask the question, what if? And be willing to try to find together the answers of what if we engaged in the mission of God together, um, what that could look like. I know at our church, um, it's somewhat been put on pause because of uh, coronavirus, uh, but we actually, um, at the start of this year, um, were able to allocate some um, funds from a few members of our congregation to say, hey, we want to invest in what the Holy Spirit is saying um, and God's mission to our young people. And so it was an invitation of what we call the Imagine Project, where um, students, young adults um, from age, I think it was 18 to 25, um, could apply to um, request a grant for some type of community building, ministry um, opportunity um, and bring together other members of our church to um, decide on on which projects we invest in, kind of like a like a startup uh, fund. But then also, 
um, be able to do it together. Um, and so um, we had some really, really creative ideas, um, some of them from local students, some of them from those outside um, of our city that were, are coming here as students. Um, and unfortunately, we had to pause um, a lot of that, but it makes me really excited to see what what got, even in, during this time, we've been receiving applications um, as students have been praying and discerning how they can engage in God's mission. And it gets me excited about how in the coming days, we can then in different ways as a congregation participate with them leading into what God might be up to like in our that. church and in our city. I want to ask you more about that because I, I think that's something that could that, that could maybe have some potential here locally if young adults are interested in it, um, and and maybe even with our church district, our network of uh, churches. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up on that, Jeremy. Um, now we're we're wrapping up here in the next couple of minutes. I just wanted to share uh, the for me that was kind of the defining quote of this chapter on paradoxes and failing forward. With, uh, with young adult ministry, most churches would rather succeed at doing what doesn't work than risk failing at what might. Wow. Like, let's, let's fail forward. Um, I don't want to stay in my, my comfort zone and, and ruin stuff. Most churches would rather succeed at doing what doesn't work, but we give it our best shot than risk failing at, at what might work. Going into the unknown, where the monsters are, off the map. Um, here's, here's my two, let, let me tell you two things that I think are success navigating Corona, because I, some of the stuff here, I keep thinking about gathering with people and we're getting back. We're, we're, we're not getting back to, that's the wrong way to think and say that we're moving forward to meeting together again, uh, in person as a church. Uh, but it's the one undergrad that is getting together on his own with some friends online that are fellow believers and they're doing stuff together. To me, that's success. It's not my success. It's the success of young adults, a part of our church body that are helping to foster community together. And so I'm, I'm reaching out to him, seeing how he's doing, how I can pray for him. Um, we may or may not have talked about him before in previous things regarding uh, shopping for clothing online. Um, I don't remember if those were recorded statements or not. And then another one with our older young adults and that, you know, the month, the monthly lunches that we were having that we can't do anymore. Uh, we, the, we could, we could virtually gather with them. And I want to ask them that question. If they want to do that, I've offered that to them. That hasn't come back to me as something that they want to facilitate it. I'm not going to force it on them. So I feel productive. Um, but they've been staying in touch with each other. They've been checking on each other. Uh, and then they're connected to other parts of our church. So I feel like if I've got those few kind of key relationships that I'm invested in, the one-on-ones of just how they're doing everything, I don't need to gather a bunch of people to feel good about we have a young adult ministry virtually or in person. Um, I'm getting I'm getting a little bit frustrated with some of the things I'm hearing broadly about counting likes and engagement. And it feels like a migration of attractional church to the interweb, um, to the interwebs. And now what are we going to do with that? Um, yeah, there's a whole lot of different places to go there, but I, I, I don't want to succeed at the wrong things. I'd rather fail forward and invest in those one-on-one relationships like you guys were talking about. And one of the cautions, I think, is to, to redefine failure or be careful that we don't 
we don't decide something fails right away because it didn't attract enough people or didn't really take off. I think one of like our podcast, for instance, (laughs) I think one of the things you really have to commit to with college and young adult ministry is just really consistent presence, persistence. Um, Now, not if you're doing, you know, stupid stuff or like, I, I don't, I don't mean if I, if I keep doing something that's really all about me needing to be uh, the great ministry provider, I'm not talking about that. But sometimes in young adult ministry, it's easy to try something and only three people show up and say, oh, that didn't work. Let's try something different next week. So we're not trying to say fail weekly. Um, <laughs> but I mean, give things a really, give things a really good go. Be consistent, be persistent uh, for a bit. But yeah, then I think be willing to shift gears. Um, um, yeah. But I think more of these, the failures the chapter's talking about is are just things that are going to, from a church standpoint, they're going to look like uh, poor investment of time or resources or this or that. I think that's the kind of failure perception they're talking about in in this in this chapter but well let me let me uh draw our perforated conversational line right there fellas and let me let me take us out with our little outro liturgy it's been so good connecting uh with you guys the conversation and anyone anybody that's joined us whether live here or once this gets posted and you join us in in the podcast we'd love for you to read along with us we'd love for you to message us individually or on Instagram at Young Adult Ministry Podcast. I should know the name of our Instagram, Young Adult Ministry Podcast. It's got an underscore between the words. Uh, but here we go. Until next time. Hey, keep failing forward. Be present. Be teachable. And be flexible. And as always, try something new. See you guys.